Hello and welcome to our Thursday edition of Unqualified Analysis. We are your hosts, Zach and Caleb, and today we have a great show for y'all. Firstly, we're going to start with Monday. I mean, Monday was just insane. We had Black Monday. We also had Georgia versus Alabama. So we're going to break both of those down. And then we're going to get right into Super Wild Card super Weekend. Super Wild Card Weekend, dude. I'm going to leave that one to you then. You go ahead. When we start talking about Wild Card Weekend, I'll, I'll expect that one more time. For All you. right. Well, that, 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 that will ring in the NFL discussion. That sounds good. Let's get into it. All right. And then after that, we are going to start the scouting for our new competitive ping pong team. Of course. So before that, let's talk about college football. Georgia versus Alabama. Firstly, congrats to the Bulldogs. I was actually surprisingly close to my predictions. Stetson Bennett threw for 240 yards and two touchdowns. Um, Mostly proud of Stetson Bennett. I think that's one of the better stories that we've had in college. I mean, he was a walk-on when uh, when Jake Fromm was there, I believe. Justin Fields comes in, so he transfers out. And Georgia offers him a spot back after Justin Fields transferred out. And initially he said no, I didn't realize, because uh, he wanted to look at other offers but decided to come back. JT Daniels comes in, and then finally Kirby Smart makes the decision to start him instead, and now he's wanted as a walk-on. Might be the last ever walk-on quarterback, at least. Maybe one of the last walk-on players to start a football championship game. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like too much has been made about Stetson Bennett in this game. I think he was very clutched down the stretch, but on the whole, Bama's defense kind of held him in check. I yeah. will give him credit, though. He's got one hell of a deep ball, man. I don't know how he's going to do at the next level, but that shit drops out of the sky. And usually it's in the right place when he throws deep like that. So I don't know if he's going to end up being drafted, but I think he's going to end up somewhere just based on the strength of that. I want to highlight Georgia's defense, though, because they it's ridiculous watching them play. Like, they probably, like, I'm not going to go as far as to say the old cliche thing where it's like, you know, this Georgia team would beat, like, the worst NFL team. But that defense is as fast as any NFL defense is. I mean, it is incredible to watch them run sideline to sideline because sometimes there's plays where it's like you you see a guy running and it's like that's a first down yeah. basically against any other team. Then out of nowhere you see N'Kobe Dean specifically come from off screen and just annihilating people. I mean, that defense, I've said it before, but we're going to look back in five years and be like, damn, all of those guys were on the same defense. That's incredible. Do you think this team would be able to match up against the 2019 LSU team? Hmm. That's a that's, that's a, real a lot question. of NFL talent. That's a that's a that's a matchup I would want to see just based on the defense versus the offensive matchup. But like, man, we already we already talked about. It. I think it'll be a, a more interesting comparison in like I said five years from now. But man, just looking at that LSU offense, I mean, they had like Derek Stingley on defense. They had. Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, at the, the top Marshall. two wide receivers, yeah. Terrace Marshall. They had uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the backfield. Oh, yeah, and Joe Burrow, who, you know, set the FBS record who? for passing never that year. Yeah, no, no, no. And that big no-name guy, never heard of him before in my life. But, yeah, I mean, just it's hard to see, like, anyone beating that team. But, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to revisit that one in five years down the line. I think that Georgia's... Offense might have some really good uh, NFL talent, though. I mean, I don't know if Stetson Bennett necessarily is going to be successful. I think that there's probably a bit of an issue with just his stature. I mean, he's like 5'10", 5'11", like 180 pounds. So that's always yeah. going to be a bit of a concern. But, I mean, you know, Russ has done it. Kyler's done it. Baker's done it. Drew Brees has done it. So it's not unprecedented. But Zamir And he's White, going against that Georgia defense basically every day in practice right. against, you know, inarguably one of the best college defenses that we've ever seen. So, I mean, that's got to count for something at the next level. I do think that James Cook and Zamir White, though, they're going to be pretty legit. They've both got pretty fresh legs. So, I mean, running that nice running back by committee, you really couldn't tell that they ever necessarily took someone who was dominant out of the game because each of them was just lighting Alabama's vaunted rush defense on fire. They had, like... I think it was like 150 rushing yards on less than 20 carries between the two of them. Insane. And that was really what decided this game because it was a slow game to start. But once the second half 
uh, started, there was a bit of a powder keg that was lit, I feel. Yeah, and you think about it, I mean, Kenny McIntosh, too, the third string running back, is also an NFL prospect. He didn't even really get a whole lot of play in this game. I mean, Georgia from top to bottom, I guess we're, we're seeing a lot of the, the fruits of, they had like a run there where it was like three or four, four or five uh, number one uh, recruiting classes, and I think we saw like the culmination of that this year because they're loaded at like basically every position. Now, I mean, a lot of people are graduating this year. This is going to be hard to repl- replicate in the following years, but that backfield specifically, I mean, they ain't going nowhere because they've, they've legit had all year like four guys that could start basically anywhere in the FBS. I do want to I do want to shout out though, devastating injury for uh, for Bama specifically, like Jamison Williams because of his NFL career. But he tore his ACL in this one. He was the I don't know if he was clear cut, but definitely ranked the number one receiver going into the draft. Blazing speed. Um, I still think he's going to get drafted high, but I think this basically rules out him in the first round. I mean, that's assuming that he goes into the draft, right? He's still got eligibility, so he could get the draft card back. Say, hey, maybe I should prove myself. You know, Bryce Young's still there, so you can just run it back, probably be at least in the championship game, maybe get into the first round the next year. But, yeah, I mean, it was a pretty big injury. Definitely had a lot of impact. I mean, you could definitely tell that both him and John Matchy were out of this game as Bryce Young was a little out of sorts here. But ultimately, the better team won, at least as far as storylines are concerned. I mean, I just love being able to see just – some amount of parody. I don't like seeing the fact that it was Alabama versus Clemson for like five straight years. I love seeing like LSU win, Auburn win, Ohio State win, Georgia win, right? Like Mm. it's just so great to see in college. It's what I love most about college football. Yeah, agreed. And all the credit to the world of that Georgia defense, like I said before, but I mean, they did, like you said, they didn't have Jamison Williams. They didn't have John Mechie. For the first time in a long time, I had zero idea who who uh, Bryce Young was throwing the ball to at the end of the day. Uh, uh, Cameron Latu didn't didn't know him. He looks like a really, really good tight end. Like not like those those like crazy good looking athletes that Bama usually has a tight end, like the Jordan Howards that don't end up like uh, producing a whole lot. This guy looks like he's got some real like route running, receiving ability. That's a guy to watch in the future. I think he's a young guy, though. And then the the number one receiver throughout this one, I can't remember his name, but I know he was a true freshman as well. So, I mean, they'd had a lot to work with there on on the defensive side, but, you know, they they had it all set up for him. I'm worried for the future. I feel like Nick Saban's getting soft, though. I feel he was very copacetic in his post-game interview. I mean, look, Props for, you know, having good PR skills and applauding Kirby Smart winning. But, man, you got to be bitter, you know. I want to see I want to see you throwing some hands with some people out there, you know. Get on your team in the middle of the field about how they're not good enough, how they need to be better. Where's the fire, Saban? No, I mean, that that is a, that is a fair point there. And, I mean, you got to wonder where the fire is at the end of the day. But I will point out on a serious note – that is the difference between like a Nick Saban and a Joe Judge, for instance, because Joe Judge would just be fucking losing his mind going apoplectic in the locker room. Nick Saban has a concept of time and place, knows when to uh, yell at his guys, knows when to uh, console them and lift them up. But you think about it. I mean, Bryce Young's coming back next year. The the core of that that offense is coming back next year. I mean, Will Anderson is coming back next year. They're going to be in the playoffs no matter what. So I think Saban's just knowing the long game here saying the offseason matters more than anything else here. The way they develop is going to determine how far they get next year. You know, speaking of Joe Judge, he was fired yesterday. Yes, he was. Can't say I'm surprised that he was fired. Um, I did kind of just convince myself that he was going to be around at least for one or two games until the Giants realize it's a losing cause. But uh you know, Dave Gettleman retired in a big you can't fire me, I quit kind of thing. You know, only five years after going to the Super Bowl, uh, Joe Judge is out after two pretty awful years. And, well, the Giants back to square one because uh, this might actually be the worst situation to have to get a new GM and head coach in. Yeah, and... I don't know if we've talked about it on here before, but it's a lot of this I feel like is complicated by the fact that it's like a two-owner type of system. 
where like I feel like they're they're handicapped where it's like instead of having one guy at the top making the decisions, they have John Mara and Steve Tisch who may not be on the same page all the time. They have to come to a consensus on the decision. And then you get a guy like Dave Gettleman as a result who hires a guy like Joe Judge. I, I agree with you. This has got to be one of the worst uh, situations to go into for a head coach. Um, that being said, uh, I heard today a very interesting point that I heard pointed out that uh, from pardon my take, give a little credit where it's due, that, uh, you know, uh, the the Giants like to hire like they, they got a taste of what Tom Coughlin had to offer and they're like, all right, I want that guy every time. So they just basically hire like hard asses. Like you think about it, they went from Coughlin to I think it was either uh, Ben McAdoo or Pat Shermer. Either way, both of those guys were kind of hard asses. He went from those those guys to uh, Joe Judge, who was a hard ass. So, I mean, it makes sense that they'll probably go for another one of those guys again, but hasn't worked for him thus far, and I don't think it'll work for him going forward. Well, I mean, they could go for Brian Flores. It seems he's not out yeah. of the hunt as far as getting a head coaching job. I know for facts that Brian Flores, which – admittedly is a bit of a surprising firing but I don't disagree with it I feel if he had stayed that he would have hidden the issues of the one in seven start with the fact that he went what eight and one in the latter half I feel yeah good teams do start slow but like the Chiefs started three and four, and we were worried about them. They didn't start one and seven. When you start one and seven, you have like a point zero zero one percent chance of making the playoffs. So, I credit to him for getting the Dolphins close, but I do think that uh, the job's not right for him. The Bears did have rumors out there that they were maybe looking to hire him as head coach. I think the Giants could be a decent spot for him as well. Yeah, and honestly, I think it's been like. It's been shown over and over again that it's better to just kind of like after you get fired somewhere, just either take a year off or go be a coordinator somewhere somewhere. Because, I mean, you look at Doug Peterson, no one wanted him after the the fiasco with the Eagles last year. And he is pretty much the hottest name on the market in this offseason. So, I mean, I think Brian Flores should go somewhere and be a defensive coordinator. But we were just talking about it with the Giants. I mean... He is a guy that fits the ethos of what they want, like, perfectly. Him and Zimmer, for that matter, are guys that, you know, you you come in, they have shown that they're good tacticians, that they can, you know, put together an organization. I'm not sure if it'll end up working for them, but I think that's what, what they're uh, looking for. I do kind of want to talk a little bit more about Brian Flores, though, because I think you can make an argument for, for firing him. I think there were some, like, like I said on the, the previous episode, well-founded uh, personality flaws there to where I think he butted heads with uh, ownership and management. But, man, <laughs> for them to still keep Chris Greer, too, as well. That one is much more sus it, to me because, I mean, they had Chris Greer actually hire Adam Gase, which yeah. Adam Gase was an objectively awful hire for his entire tenure. I mean, he had one good season with Peyton Manning at the helm in – Denver as a coordinator and then somehow push that into like five years of just awful head coaching and now he hired Brian Flores who wasn't as bad as Adam Gase but still didn't make the playoffs ever and I mean I don't think it's really working out because it's not like their team necessarily has a good roster like for example I feel like the Broncos have a really solid defense and they've got two really star-studded running backs the Vikings have a really strong offense and some solid pieces on defense um even the Bears I think have a really solid roster at least on defense they've got some young players in Justin Fields and Darnell Mooney the Dolphins don't really have a whole lot going for them Xavier Howard I think is the only player of note that is like a big time name for them to build around Mm -hmm. and you think about it the the Dolphins have that one thing that you know is going to get players running like the plague is in town it is bad ownership in Jeff Ross that guy has not done anything since he's been in town that's the thing Xavier Howard was possibly going to get traded because of the whole culture fit issues maybe it was locker room but there was definitely a lot of hostility between him and the leadership as well and you think about it, you look at the, the career arc of Chris Greer, I'm pretty sure he's been in the organization for damn near like 
20 years now. Like, I'm pretty sure he was around when Tannenbaum was around, too. So it feels like on the ownership side, they're valuing relationships more than they're valuing, like, or as in, like, the relationship between uh, the owner, Jeff Ross, and the GM, Chris Greer, than the actual, like, performance of the team. And when you're doing that, I think players can see from afar and they're like, I don't want to fucking touch that place with a 10-foot pole unless they offer me a whole fuck ton of money. And then maybe I'll go there. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Chris Greer probably uh, has a little bit of poop on his nose if you catch my drift. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, I do want to go to the Bears. I Like I said, uh, Brian Flores is rumored to be one of their top options. I think the Bears... Uh, as much as you might hate to admit, have a pretty decent position. I think ownership has proven that they will be patient with uh, whoever starts there. That's I think the big that, thing. I think that Flores could be a good option. I think uh, you mentioned Doug Peterson. I think that he would be a really interesting option for either them or the Vikings to pick up. Uh, I think there's a lot of good things that can happen in Chicago. I feel like they've got a good foundation to have some success in the future. Yeah, and I agree with you to a certain extent. I feel like the best thing about the Bears' uh, ownership group is that they are hands-off. They'll let you do what you what you need to. They'll give you the time to see if you're good or not. The problem is, like, I don't know if they actually know what the hell they're doing. So, like, in theory, I think they're a good place. Like, if they, if they hire the right person, I think they got everything there in place to have a lot of success. I just have zero faith whatsoever for them to hire the actual right person. Like, I think this is all well and good talking about Doug Peterson and all that and all the people they should get, but I think they're probably going to come out of left field and hire someone we weren't really thinking about and uh, we didn't really expect, and that's kind of uh, – it works for some organizations, but just not the Bears for some reason. There'll be a super Bears thing is to go full Saints in it and hire Jeff Ireland as their GM, who – has GM experience with the Dolphins and has I think he's under, in the building right now. <laughs> yeah, I think I heard that. Um, because I mean, he's been the head of college scouting for the Saints for since he left the Dolphins. So what, like five, six years at this point? I mean, there's a pretty good track record to have, right? Like, there's a lot of really good players that have come out of the Saints as draft picks. Um, and then go ahead and hire Dennis Allen. Just bring a whole Saints crew along with you, right? Maybe bring some position coaches as well. Now, I will say, I hope to God they don't hire Dennis Allen because a defensive coach, like, I don't give a fuck. Like, they can try and fit that square peg in the round hole all they want in Chicago. It's always going to be a defensive city. They need always a defensive head. They need a defensive head coach. If Dennis Allen goes in there, I think it's like, I think they actually have, like, a team there, like a squad. If they if they can figure out the offensive side, which they seemingly Never can, but yeah, I do not want Den- I do not want them to hire Dennis Allen. That's for sure. For what it's worth, for Dennis Allen, um, I have to be careful not to type him up too much because I would hate for him to leave the Saints. But I mean, look, if you love someone, you got to prop him up, right? So, uh, one other thing to think about <laughs> outside outside of the uh, head coaching experience, which was um, not great, but also it was the Raiders in a uh, turbulent time with Terrell Pryor of all people, um, is that he's been under Sean Payton for pretty much his entire worthwhile career outside of head coaching. So he does have a little bit of offensive acumen, I feel. And generally, he's been honing his craft, right? Like he came to the Saints and the Saints defense went to top 10 pretty much overnight. They got some good picks in. And I mean, just this past season, we were saying, hey, the Saints offense is 29th in the league, but their defense is borderline elite. Like, that is what yeah. got them to 9-8 and eight this season. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I don't know. I just – honestly, I hope the Bears end up hiring the wrong person for selfish reasons. But moving to an adjacent team in the division, that's, you know, a little bit close to my heart. Obviously, the Vikings fired both Spielman and Zimmer. Completely cleaned the deck. We talked about it a little bit on Tuesday. Uh, personally, I'm, I was a little bit shocked with, uh, with Spielman. I thought they would kind of keep him around, but I, I get why they did it. I think, you know, it's something where they needed a, a hard reset. Uh, they gave him long enough. It just feels like, you know, the culture was getting stale, especially on, on Zimmer's side. I think that was completely understandable. I heard a, uh, a quote from, uh, Brian O'Neill, uh, just earlier today. I read it on, on Twitter. I think it was Courtney Cronin put it out there, um, He's, he's the guy that I think I respect the most on the Vikings of anyone there. He's worked his way up from 
like mid-round pick to an anchor on the offensive line, so I really put a lot of weight in what he says. But he he kind of implied like you know he wants to see in the future a bit more of like an inclusion of the young guys going forward to where you know it's obvious that. Zimmer didn't do that, which being an old school guy makes a lot of sense. But going forward, I think they are going to hire one of those those uh, those younger guys. And honestly, I'm just hoping Ziggy Wilf just please don't make a mistake here because I am I'm scared for the future. This is a very big uh, pivotal moment going forward. Yeah, I will say as far as Rick Spielman's concerned, because I mean, it's fairly obvious why Mike Zimmer's out, right? I mean, we mm, yeah. we kind of knew that was coming probably halfway through the season. Um, But with Rick Spielman, one thing that I do want to say as far as against him is it feels like the Vikings have had the same issues building their roster pretty much his entire tenure, right? Like you've never had problems with a running back. You've always had really solid receivers, but you've never totally figured out the secondary. You definitely never had an offensive line and you guys never got the quarterback to... the quarterback situation together. And I think that that's probably a large reason why Rick Spielman's out. Get somebody who has a fresh set of eyes who maybe will build the roster a different way. I I would wholeheartedly expect in three years for you to look at your team and say, holy shit, this looks nothing like the team that played in 2021. Yeah, for better or for worse, I hope that's on the uh, the better side of that. But of I mean, that's all that's all fair criticism of Rick Spielman. I think there he could never find a quarterback Pretty much everyone that he drafted ended up busting. Uh, Kirk Cousins, that ain't it for sure. Uh, on offensive line, ironically enough, I think he ended up building a pretty solid line at the end there. Like the line this year, really did a really a bang up job all year. But I mean, just a little bit too little, too late, especially with being kind of tied at the hip with Zimmer. Uh, yeah. Going forward here, though, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know exactly. Uh, who to look for on the um, God the the GM side? I'm I'm a big proponent of like you know going towards the teams that have a lot of success historically though in the front office, and then just kind of yeah. poaching the most important people from there. So hey, Chargers, Colts. I mean everything Loomis touches to gold. Nope. So I mean might as well <laughs> go with the Saints somewhere as well somewhere in there. So I mean yeah, I mean. I don't have a whole lot of names there, but poach someone from there in GM, and then as far as coaches go. Get me Vic Fangio at DC and get me a fucking offensive guy like Nathaniel Hackett that can just focus on that side of the ball and that side of the ball alone. But first and foremost, get me Vic Fangio and don't have the head coach look at the defense at all. That actually reminds me, uh, you know who had Jeff Ireland's spot before Jeff Ireland had that spot with the Saints? Who's that? Ryan Pace was oh, the head of scouting go. for the Saints before he left for the Bears job. So uh, sometimes the culture fit doesn't work. I mean, sometimes it's like catching lightning in a bottle. You just happen to be in the exact right place, right? It's, it's the Peter principle. But ultimately, I think that going with someone like Jeff Ireland, who already has experience, is definitely a good way to go. Now, I do want to also talk about the Broncos. Now that you mentioned up Vic Fangio as well, it feels like there's a little bit of tumult there as they are keeping their GM there, George Payton. And he's going to have a little bit more control in this process. But we talked about this a little bit off cast, but the Broncos are going to start looking for a new owner. So that could really change things up too. something that I feel doesn't really come up in conversation a whole lot just because that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, and I think that's that is the biggest determinant going forward of like maybe not like the the head coach necessarily but like the direction of the franchise is who ends up owning it because I could see we were talking about it off cast before there is a there's a real possibility that John Elway steps in there as an owner I think there's also right yeah I mean that's the one like if you're gonna pick like a dream scenario if you're a Broncos fan that's the one because I mean you think about it he was a quarterback he ran the franchise from there on the field he was uh, a GM for a long time helped the team win a Super Bowl from there uh, learn the ropes there. I mean, you know, wasn't the greatest towards the end, but was really good when he, he needed to be. Uh, then moved on to the presidential side, so he knows the business side of it all. I mean, it seems perfect that he has a more, like, well-rounded background than basically any owner you could ask for. That's the perfect uh, scenario. I could also see someone like 
Jeff Bezos may, may be coming in. We talked about that a little bit, though. It's, you know, a lot of conflict of interest there, but one of those big-time billionaires coming in, it matters big-time as to uh, how this uh, franchise is going to go, who they end up getting in there as the owner. Yeah, uh, so with that, let's go to something that's a little more concrete then. We do have the Lions. Um, they didn't fire Dan Campbell, thank goodness. I, I think that he showed some good promise. They did yeah. fire Anthony Lynn, which doesn't bode well for his future in higher coaching roles as he was just with the Chargers as their head coach. This is his first season. He had his offense taken away from him, and now he's out the door of the Detroit Lions who have the number two overall pick. It looks pretty dire for him. I'm really interested to see who the Lions get because Dan Campbell's not necessarily an offensive mind. No, he's not an offensive mind, and even with him not being an offensive mind, when he took over the play-calling duties this year, the offense ended up doing better, which I think is a a startling indictment of Anthony Lynn as a, a play-caller overall. I think he needs to go back, do a little bit of coaching rehab, kind of change up, tweak the playbook a little bit, but uh, I've honestly like heard rumblings. To the Tide, man? I Maybe. I mean, that's probably coaching rehab right there. The best you could probably do it. We know Bill O'Brien's getting a coaching job a head coaching job somewhere. So, I mean, the position's going to be open for you. But I have heard rumblings that uh, he might get the head coaching, a look as the head coach for the Vikings. Uh, I just want to nip that in the bud right away. If you're listening, Zicky Wolf, uh, that ain't it, Chief. <laughs> Not it. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Me it's just, either, but I just want to vocalize that. That's That ain't it, Chief. Don't do it. it. It's just some 12-year-olds on the internet who think that it's going to be a great hire because he has oh, no, no. experience I, or something. I heard, I heard this coming from like the, the beat reporter on the Vikings. Courtney Cronin, the girl, I, not the girl, the woman I referenced earlier, uh, she's she's the one that tweeted about that. She's, you know. I, I don't buy that for an instant. That's one rumor I can't get behind. I There's no way. I hope not. <laughs> I, I mean, ultimately, I think not. that what's going to happen is the Vikings are just going to hire Urban Meyer. He's going to turn the Vikings into some winners. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's all we can hope for. I think he would certainly change the culture if he came in maybe yeah. not for the for the better but he, he could change the culture the, keep in mind though Trent Balky still around, still around I mean I know the fans know the fans certainly know and they're they're packing the stands with that I mean just poor Jags fans I think low-key the the cons are like a solid ownership group but like I don't know man they got a lot of they got a lot of learning to do before they end up actually being solid at what they're doing here yeah I mean they just kind of have the unfortunate circumstance of being probably the most well-known recent owners. I mean, if you think of how often I mean, that mustache carries hands, weight, I'll tell you what. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I knew his name before I even really knew a whole lot about football because he came in back in what, like, twenty thirteen or so. So like, he's also I think really big in uh, like soccer team ownership too. And I think he's really yeah. He good owns at that. a he owns a piece of one of the Premier Leagues. So. Through Black Monday, there's, let's see, how many positions are there to fill? One, two, three, four, five, six head coach positions to fill. I think that uh, the best choices are, I mean, Doug Peterson, right? Um, who else did I have listed down here? I think Byron Dennis, Leftwich. Byron Leftwich, Kellen Moore. Um, I think Dennis Allen is like a sneaky, solid hiring that I feel nobody's talked about, which... I am genuinely surprised no one's talked about him. Um, so that's four. Who else? Bill O'Brien, maybe? I don't, I'm not convinced Bill O'Brien's going to get a job, though. At least I, in the NFL. I don't think he should in the NFL. I have maintained for a long time the way that he like runs a program. He would be... Shit. I'll pick that up later. He would be perfect for a college program. Like He is like... Right. That's and I mean, this in a co- I mean this in a complimentary fashion. He is like like a dictator type, which is like perfect for college because you can just go in there, be a salesman and then just build up a cache of assets and control basically everything. And that's like, that is the mold for what a great college coach is on the NFL side. I feel like personality wise, it's hard to, it's hard to mesh, but I think he really wants to get back in the NFL is the problem. So yeah, I don't know it. Ultimately, I feel like he does just end up back at, at Alabama because he wants to get back in the NFL so bad is the main thing. I think depending how the Bills do, uh, their offensive coordinator, Brian Dable, is probably going to get a look as well. I know we, Hackett with the Packers. Yeah, yeah, definitely those two. Um, it feels like Matt LaFleur is probably starting to create his own tree outside of – he comes from like Sean McVay's group, doesn't he? 
or did they uh, yeah, coach I think together? He's, a, he's an offshoot of uh, the Shanahan tree, I want to say. Okay, because I know all of them are all of them are all kind of off of the um, God. What's it? Tom Landry. Oh right, the original West Coast offense. It all just kind of roots back to that. At the end of the day, it's just like variations of that West Coast style. Let's go ahead and get into our playoff preview. We've got three days worth of football to get into. We got two games on Saturday, three on Sunday, and one on Monday night. Um, the commercial certainly won't let you forget that this is the Super Wild Card Weekend. Super um, Wild Card Weekend. Almost forgot. For 4.30, we've got the Raiders versus the Bengals. Bengals are <laughs> expected to win in this one. I do think that this is a more clear choice. Uh, this is definitely a choice that you probably would be remiss to find on anybody's prediction boards at the beginning of the season. I think it's going to be really fun to see how Joe Burrow and company can uh, host a game in Cincinnati and maybe uh, shock some fans as far as getting deep in the playoffs. Yeah, if you would have told me preseason that both the Raiders and the Bengals were in the playoffs, I mean... First off, I mean, it's not totally implausible. Got to do at least a bit of a sprinkle on that. Like, I mean, the, the odds on that must have been astronomical on the on the uh, preseason future bet there. So, you know, a little bit of a sprinkle. But I would have told you to lay off the shrooms because you're thinking a little bit too far outside of the box. That's just, I mean, the Bengals. I mean, they got Joe Burrow, but that's just a little beyond the pale. But lo and behold, here they are at the end of the season. Both of them 10-win teams. Both of them in the playoffs and... This is one of the more interesting matchups of the uh, the weekend thus far. I feel like on paper the Bengals have a better team than the Raiders, but Derek Carr this season, especially down the stretch when he has, I heard it uh, pointed out by Marcus Spears today on ESPN that basically the last three games he had to like win that on the final possession. Yeah. He had to go down the field and win that for him, and I mean that that takes a lot of guts. Derek Carr this season has has shown me a lot. I think he can really recapture some of that uh, that glory he had in that uh, borderline MVP season he had way back when. Yeah, I mean, he's getting hot at just the right time, right? And one thing I do also want to mention as far as upsetting the Bengals is you've got Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe on that pass rush team. So that's going to cause some fits for the Bengals because they are definitely uh, known for having one of the weakest offensive lines in the entire league so if that is something that they can really tap into I definitely see a way for the Raiders to win in this one yeah that is the main thing though because the Raiders secondary is porous so they're gonna have to get there with with Crosby and Ngakwe otherwise I mean Chase Higgins all the weapons on there on offense with Joe Burrow they're gonna pick them apart and, uh, yeah, that's that's the one chance. I think it's kind of the same thing for the Bengals, though, on the other side with uh, Hendrickson and company. It's where, like, yeah, I mean, I mean, I like Trey Waynes. I know the Vikings drafted him, but I know he's also the nickel corner. But uh, who is it? Chidobe Awuzie and uh, Eli Apple. Eli Apple particularly, uh, I'm not particularly confident in. So, I mean, Trey Hendrickson is going to be massive there. If he ends up getting a lot of sacks, causing havoc in there, they might end up uh, – keeping them at a little bit low scoring but for the Raiders to win this I feel like they have to score points if they don't they don't score points I don't think their defense can slow down this Bengals offense at all so who do you think is going to win yeah I think uh the Bengals are going to win this one uh Derek Carr his massive cranium might be powerful enough to uh keep his team in this one I mean I know he's going to be able to see plays before they even happen Mm -hmm. but that Bengals cast of like Higgins Chase Mixon, I feel like they're going to put up like Looney Tunes type of numbers against this defense. And I think Carr might be able to keep it close, but the Bengals are just going to pull this one out. Yeah, I do think the Bengals are going to win as well. Um, The Bengals are easily the team to root for for me this season since the Saints are out. I mean, it's weird. Ohio and Louisiana have this strange symbiotic relationship when it comes to football. I mean, LSU pulls in a lot of Ohio recruits, such as Joe Burrow, for example, and the Saints end up getting a lot of Ohio State kind of guys like Mike Thomas and Marshawn Lattimore. And then the Bengals have gone and gotten like Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. And then they got Eli Apple and Trey Hendrickson from the Saints as well. So 
it, it's all weird, but uh, it's all coming together. It's all part of the master plan to get two Super Bowl winning teams in the same season. I feel. Yeah, I have a I have a bit of a theory, man. Like I feel like I've heard this pointed out before, and I think I've actually brought it up on the podcast before. But you look at the the heat map of like the highest obesity rates in America, and that's usually where like the best like oh, like well, yeah. big man positions come from, like offensive linemen and stuff like that. I feel like Ohio <clears throat> and Louisiana are both very high on that obesity rate, which is to say, I think that they bond with those recruits over. We got some great fucking food down here, man. You should. That's very fair, man. You should come on down and and see what's up. And I mean, I've been down to Louisiana. I know the food's like fucking awesome. I'm not even that fat, but I would be fat if I lived down there. So, I mean, hey, that that might be the secret connection there. Just the food. You'll have to come over for a super wild card weekend. I'm uh, going to make some duck gumbo, man. It's going to be a good time. Are you shooting the duck yourself? Yeah, I might. I just might. Let's go ahead and get into the Patriots versus Bills game, though. Saturday night, first divisional matchup of the wild card series. This is going to be an interesting one. Neither team really has a clear edge, I feel. One thing that does strike me here is the Bills had a really good end to the season where they won in pretty considerable fashion, I feel, in their last, what, three, four games, including a win against the Patriots. They seem to have found their running game. I am a little concerned about that defense because it's very opportunistic, but it's a little feast or famine at times. They are prone to giving up a lot of scores and uh, forcing Josh Allen to strictly pass as opposed to using all the tools at his arsenal. Yeah, and I think the big thing to watch there for the Bills is going to be the uh, the run defense against that three-headed monster of uh, Stevenson, Bolden, and uh, Harris for the Patriots in the backfield there. But uh, as far as the pass defense is concerned, I mean, they've been the best pass defense in the league basically the entire year. And they've got ample ample film from uh, Flores, uh, ample film of their own from the, the second matchup they had where they basically shut down Mac Jones. I, I feel like the Patriots are facing an uphill battle in this one going, sure. into, uh, going into Buffalo. I will say, though, I mean... Mac Jones, I like the kid. Give him a puncher's chance at the very least, and especially with Bill Belichick with the defensive weapons at his disposal. I mean, never count the Patriots out. I would never say that the Bills are going to win this one easily, that's for sure. Yeah, I do think that the Bills have a fairly decent advantage in this one, if only because the Bills have a team that's really mostly all been here before. The Patriots are kind of rebuilding a little bit. I mean, you've got Bill Belichick, so you're going to be focused, but Mac Jones is probably starting to hit that rookie wall a little bit as he's already played 17 games going into his 18th, and we've seen that when he's forced to make the plays, Mac Jones sometimes has a bit of an issue with turning the ball over. He gets a little overeager, which I mean, it is what it is when you're a rookie, but against someone like the Bills' pass defense, it's going to be very hard to compete against. I think the Bills probably are going to win this one. Unfortunately, I'm not even sure it's going to be that close. I will say from an optimistic point of view on the Patriots' side, as counterintuitive as it may seem with Josh Allen back there at quarterback, I think you just kind of like initially play to stop the run force them to pass because I feel like when Josh Allen is passing that shit like 60 times a game especially when the winds are gusting in Buffalo like that like it feels like bad things tend to happen for the Bills so I feel if they can stop the run they can stop the run and just kind of like play a little bit towards the pass later on in the game I feel like that's that's kind of the recipe to win but yeah you said it at the end of the day I think I, I also have the Bills here just from top to bottom the, the pass defense against Mac Jones is not a great matchup. It just feels like the Bills are should win this one handily. I think I think uh, Bill Belichick is going to make this close, though. Well, on Sunday for our 1 o'clock game, we've got our Eagles versus Buccaneers matchup. Now, the spread on this is 8.5 in favor of the Buccaneers. I think that the Eagles are a sleeper solid team, though. I mean, they are number one in rushing yards. Uh, for the entire season. They actually broke their franchise record for rushing yards, but they are, I think, like 28th in passing yards. So that is a bit of an issue as far as matchups versus the Buccaneers go. But they're a fairly healthy team, all things considered. Their line's been playing a little better. Their defense has been 
okay as of late. And the pair of Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith has been lightening up the season for the most part. They've definitely overachieved a bit, but I don't think they're done here, to be honest. Yeah, and the Eagles, especially with the offense they run, it's less like the overall passing yards number you have to look at and more of like the efficiency, like the yards per attempt. Like, how are they getting it downfield? Like, are they not turning the ball over? That's what's mainly important here. And I like the Eagles as well um, as, as a team. I think that eight and a half is just straight up disrespectful. Like, I don't know, like, especially with the Buccaneers, they just cut AB. They lost uh, Chris Godwin. Uh, basically, their only really healthy receiver right now is Mike Evans, and they got Gronk still. But that's like, the cupboard's getting a little They're missing bit three running backs as well. Don't forget that. Yeah, missing three running backs. Are they missing Leonard Fournette? Yeah, he's on IR. Oh, yeah, Leonard Fournette's on IR. I think um, Giovanni Bernard's on IR as well. Ronald Jones is actually doubtful for this week. So, I mean, I don't know who they're trotting out there to start. And, I mean, on defense, the cornerbacks have been banged up the entire year. So, I mean, no matter who starts at at a quarterback for the Eagles, you've seen they've been able to pass the ball proficiently. I feel like that that plus eight and a half is just – Pure, unadulterated bias from Vegas, but hey, if you at home are, are listening, you can take advantage of that bias, and that's what uh, what betting is all about, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately a lot of that is because Tom Brady is still Tom Brady. He can take a sack of scrubs and turn them into stars, right? I mean, he's been making a lot of the Buccaneers team look pretty good all season long. They do have 12 wins. I mean, they are the second seed for a reason, but... I feel like outside of Vita Vea and Ndamukongsu on their defensive line, and then, like you said, Gronk, Mike Evans on the offensive side, there's not a whole lot to like for the Buccaneers. Like, they're probably going to be able to keep Tom Brady upright for most of the game, but he's probably going to have to get into a shootout if the Eagles... Excuse me. He's probably going to have to get into a shootout if the Eagles get up ahead early. Yeah, pretty much, and I mean... On the defensive side for the Buccaneers, I mean, that that running defense has been, you know, traditionally stout. I mean, still stout this year with Vita Vea. But like I said before, I mean, outside of that, if you can if you can pass the ball, if you get a good play action game on them, I feel like you can you can gash this defense in ways that I don't think you really could really just last year. So I mean, this Bucks team, they kind of skated down the stretch, kind of flew under the radar, ended up very highly seated, but I don't know if they faced like a super tough strength of schedule down the stretch there. Um, this is this is a sneaky game where the Eagles could come in and shock the world here. I would not be surprised if they ended up winning. Yeah, I, uh, I also think that the Eagles could win this. Uh, in fact, I would pick the Eagles to win this as my first underdog of the playoffs. I, uh, I think they're going to shock someone. Someone has to lose on wildcard weekend. That's not supposed to, right? Why not them? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, as I was writing out like the pick, like I was saying, like, yeah, yeah, eight and a half, that's a disrespectful number. And I mean, the lack of receivers, all the injuries. And then as I was writing out, just honestly, like, you know what? I think the Eagles are going to win this one. I mean, they got Darius Slay on the outside to cover Mike Evans. They've got enough uh, talent on the interior. I mean, Gronk is going to do his thing in all likelihood, but they got enough talent to at least slow down Brady and uh, the weapons on the interior. And that. That run offense for the Eagles, I think, is one of the only units that can actually run oh, on that yeah. Bucks defense. So I feel like the Eagles are going to win this one. They might end up like winning it by double digits, too. I don't know if they will, but they might. So let's go ahead and get to our second Sunday game, then. We've got 49ers versus Cowboys. Uh, we've been saying that the 49ers are another one of those sneaky, solid teams that could upset a lot of teams. But I do think that the Cowboys are... One of the most complete teams I've been saying for the past few weeks, of course. So I'm not going to uh, harp on that too much. I just think that with some people out on their team, they absolutely smashed the Eagles. Granted, second team, but still, I think that the Cowboys are one of the more solid teams in the playoffs this year and are honestly a Super Bowl favorite despite being a third seed as opposed to a top two seed. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, they lost Michael Gallup, which I mean big for the possession receiver type of plays, but they still got CeeDee Lamb. They still got Amari Cooper. They got that two-headed monster in the backfield. It's it's one of those things where that offense, you got to take away as many many touches as possible if you want to have any hope of winning. But 
I think the 49ers defense has the hogs to do it. I mean, they sure. still got Nick Bosa back there. They got Eric Armstead. I think the defensive line is solid enough to give them a run for their money. I don't honestly, truthfully don't know the names in the secondary very well, but they've played solid for much of this year as well. It is the Cowboys offense though. So, I mean, a lot of the work is going to have to be done by the 49ers offense uh, controlling clock. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing is they do have that good two headed monster between Zeke and Tony Pollard. So they've got something to work with there and they've got Dak Prescott who has been on his shit recently. He's been uh, starting to work his way back to that borderline MVP status he had a couple years ago. Career so, high last game, five touchdowns? Yeah, um, career high and no, not career high in passing yards. Uh, I th- he broke the franchise record for passing touchdowns in the game, I think, too. I think, or uh, at least in he the definitely season. broke the season record. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think five might be the game as well, but yeah. Either way, he's having a, a spectacular season after snapping his ankle in half too. Don't forget about right. that. Yeah, but uh, I do think that the 49ers do have a chance here. I mean, the line for this game is uh, three in favor of the Cowboys, so I think that that's pretty respectable to the 49ers. I mean, when you've got Debo Samuel playing every single position except for the line, um, that's always something to be scared of, and they're getting Ayuk into that passing game as well. Now that he's starting to see some more of those premier receiving yards, it's really going to come down to Jimmy G. And if he can really elevate his play in the same way that he did when they made the Super Bowl a few years ago. Yeah, and I think if you're the 49ers, you got to hope that with Debo and Ayuk, you get a lot of looks out there that that guys really, even if they're veterans on defense, just haven't seen before and it just confuses people. So you're, I think you hope with Parsons in there being a young guy, he can confuse him a couple times, get some big plays out of it if you're the 49ers. Get a, if you can get a few punches early, force. I mean, if really, if you can force any team into being one-dimensional, you got something cooking. So, I mean, if, if they can get out early, they got a good chance. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's not looking good for them, that's for sure. Yeah, I am going to take the Cowboys in this one. Full disclosure, I actually have the Cowboys as favorites to make the Super Bowl. Um, it's a whole other monster when they actually are in the Super Bowl, but I am picking the Cowboys to win this one against the 49ers. It's in Jerry World. Mike McCarthy has been on this stage before, and they are one of the most talented teams top to bottom. Yeah, uh, agreed. I got the Cowboys here as well. I mean, it just feels like, I could definitely see the 49ers winning this one. And I think, you know, if they win this one, they're going to go on a run. But this is a tough, tough team, especially with the stars they have on both sides of the ball with, I mean, say what you want about Trayvon Diggs, 11 interceptions is valuable in its own right. And Micah Parsons' work speaks speaks for itself, not to mention all the, the weapons on the offensive side. I feel like the Cowboys should win this one. Then let's go ahead and get into Steelers versus Chiefs Sunday night football. This is the largest spread as the Chiefs are favored by 12 and a half points. I do think that that is pretty rightful as the Chiefs speak for themselves. But on the Steelers side, you've got TJ Watt and Cam Hayward pairing up for, I think, 32 sacks on the season. But then you've got Big Ben as unfortunately old as ever so all you really have to hold up is Najee Harris and then just run 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 on them and it's pretty easy to thwart the Steelers I think yeah and that Steelers the big the biggest detractor on that offense honestly you know the the glaring flashy one is is Ben but when you really look at it the biggest problem is their offensive line like Villanueva left I mean they didn't really have much behind him and the offensive line they have right now is is just not going to cut it in the future. That's a big reason why Najee Harris wasn't able to get a little bit more yards per carry this season. But against a, against a team like the Chiefs that have very good individual players up front, like uh, Chris Jones, you saw Melvin Ingram last week just fucking decapitate someone in the backfield. Um, yeah, I think those Tyron types Matthew of guys... Too. Yeah, Tyron Matthew, too, making plays in the secondary. This is just a bad matchup for the Steelers. I feel like they're not going to be able to move the ball against this Chiefs defense, and they just got to hope that T.J. Watt and that whole Steelers defense can hold their ground against the Chiefs, because I feel like that's the only way they're going to have a chance in this one. Yeah, I agree. They need to make Mahomes uncomfortable, because when they do, he has been known to 
throw some silly plays, such as we both remember the no look over the middle straight to the defender interception. Um, if they can force him to do something like that, they have a chance. But otherwise, the Chiefs really just need to stop Najee Harris, and then they just got to play on schedule, and the Chiefs are going to win. With that, I do think the Chiefs are going to comfortably win this one. It might be as bad as a three-touchdown game, to be honest. I will say for good measure, if you're the Steelers, I, I think you got to make sure that Jackson Mahomes has a sideline pass and does like a, a, a whole TikTok dance pregame just to make sure that like you got a, as much bad juju in the stadium as possible. I mean, you you got all you got to fucking pray as much as possible if you're the Steelers. Bring in all of the bad vibes you need to, <laughs> and that's the sabotage you really need to go to if you're the Steelers, in my opinion. That's that's the one thing that seemed to work against Patrick Mahomes defending him in the past is bringing his brother to town. So with that, who are you taking? Oh uh, yeah, I'm supposed to take a pick, aren't I? Yeah, it's the it's the Chiefs. If they don't win by double digits, I'll I'll be shocked. But hey, I mean credit to Mike Tomlin for getting another winning season with this roster. It's it's nothing short of just impossible, really. True. Let's go ahead and get to our final game then, our Monday night game. We've got our second divisional matchup in the Cardinals versus the Rams. Um, right off the bat, the Cardinals swept the series during the season, but. McVeigh versus Kingsbury, I feel like the advantage there is very obvious. I think that that's going to be one of the most glaring changes here as uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Rams try to stick to something pretty casual, something that they're more comfortable with, and then the Cardinals have some dumbfounding, why did you make that call kind of plays. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. I mean... The Cardinals have won twice against the Rams this season, but none of those were in the playoffs. And I don't know, it feels like the Cardinals down the stretch, we saw them kind of like, eh, not playing quite as well there. I mean, they had some games where they, they played pretty well, but they also lost by 18 to the Lions. That's just one I cannot, cannot shake <laughs> out of my head. And I mean, hey, at least they got J.J. Watt coming back. He won't play Sunday. But that's because the game is on Monday night. Uh-huh. He's going to make a miraculous comeback with his one gimp arm and the other one he can just fucking cobra strike people with. He's just going to get like one of those claws and just like prop it to his arm like a splint and just use that to just like grab people and pull them down, I bet. Yeah, he's just going to have like a straight brace where he's not really going to have a whole lot of mobility, but whenever he needs to, he'll just fucking straight arm a guy. Straight arm. If he needs to set the edge like that, he'll just fucking... Do that, but I mean, with that said, in all seriousness, JJ, just fucking let your tit heal, dude. You're not gonna have like, I mean, credit to him, he's a Hall of Famer, one of the best defensive linemen we've ever seen. But coming back now, I feel like you're hurting your team more than you're helping it. I get you want to be a superhero, but sometimes it's better for the team if you just sit out, buddy. Speaking of superheroes, I feel like Kyler Murray's gonna need to be one if the Cardinals are going to win. I mean. He does have an option as far as weapons are concerned. He's got DeAndre Hopkins plus a couple other really solid receivers. I mean, he's got James Conner has been having a borderline career season, I feel. Um, I think that there's definitely some stuff to upset the Rams because we've talked about in the past, but I mean, this is a Stars and Scrubs roster, so there are definitely going to be holes for Kyler Murray to uh, really damage them. Yeah, and I think specifically... I think you touched on it a little bit there. Zach Ertz and James Conner against those linebackers. The linebackers are the weakest part of this Rams defense. The Stars and Scrubs, the Scrubs really show up in the linebacking core and the safeties for this team. So if you can attack there, that is the main spot where I think you can get a lot of yards. And of course, the main thing is like, how do you at least slow down that three-headed monster in the pass rush? If you can do both of those things... I think you can make this into a shootout and at least give yourself a puncher's chance if you're the Cardinals. Matt Stafford hasn't necessarily been in this position very often. I think they, I think he started two playoff games in his career, something like that. Um, but I do think that they have a higher ceiling just with the coaching. With Matt Stafford, the running game seems to have an actual identity with Sonny Michelle back there. And then, I mean, you've got one of the best defensive players in Aaron Donald who is actually healthy unlike jj watt so uh ultimately the rams i believe have the edge here what about you 
I mean, first and foremost, you brought it up and it just popped into my mind. I've heard some some fucking Steelers fans talking about how TJ Watt is like a, a better player than, than yeah. Aaron Donald. Uh, let me tell you right now, that's not true. Uh, Aaron Donald is getting double-digit sacks every single year at the nose guard position, which means he's getting triple teamed every single fucking play, and he's still getting double-digit sacks every year. TJ Watt gets outside rushing. He gets favorable matchups. He gets He's put in positions to get those numbers. Aaron Donald's a fucking freak. That's first and foremost. But with that said, I think the Rams are going to win this game, if for no other reason than it's like, it's going to come down to a point at the end of the game where I think it's going to be McVay versus Kingsbury. And criticize McVay all you will. I mean, I feel like there's there's well-founded criticism there. But at the end of the day, I think he is a better head coach than Cliff Kingsbury. And it's going to show down the stretch, so I got the Rams here. You know, I only mentioned it. We picked the same exact teams, which is something that we have never done before. Well, shit. That's... <laughs> that, that really... That does that feels wrong. Let's let's <laughs> fuck that up, shall we? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and talk about favorites to make the Super Bowl. Then, who are your two teams that you think will at least be in the Super Bowl? Personally, uh, in the NFC, I have a definitive uh, team that I think is going to come out. I think it's going to be the Packers this season. Aaron Rodgers. I know he's played well in previous seasons, but this is being in the same division as him, getting a firsthand look. This is the best Packers team I think he's had since that 15-1 and season. Like, having A.J. Dillon back there, it's it's almost immeasurable the, the value that he brings with what he brings in Lambeau Field in the, the late season like that and the cold weather. I feel like he puts them over the top in a way that he doesn't necessarily get credit for. I think the Packers definitively come out of the NFC. The AFC is a bit of a crapshoot, so I think... I think it's going to be the Chiefs on that side, but it's mostly just because they have Patrick Mahomes, and that defense is kind of routed into form late in the season. Enough for Patrick Mahomes to get enough plays to win you one. Well, fortunate for you, I have different picks here. Um, there we go. In the NFC, I'm going to take the Cowboys. I really wanted to take the Packers, but uh, I told myself it wasn't going to be a number one seed. Maybe I overthought it, but I'm going to pick the Cowboys. As far as the AFC, I really want to pick the Bengals, but ultimately the Bills have that much more experience than them. I think that when it comes down the stretch that the Bills are going to finally get over that hump and actually go all the way. Curious though, of the top four seeds, neither of us actually said anything about the Titans in this one. Yep, and that's, that's I think, exactly where Mike Rabel likes to be. He likes yep. to be under the radar, no one's thinking about him, but they don't give a fuck about you, and they are not scared of you either. I mean, I like I like I do the like Titans, the Titans. Too, honestly. I like the Titans, honestly, because Derrick Henry's been a full participant in practice here recently, I'm pretty sure. Like, he is going to, he's going to start in the, in the divisional round. So, I mean, God help whatever hapless team has to come to Nashville that weekend. So, I mean... Don't count out the Titans either. Like I said, that AFC is just, it's going to be fun to watch because I have zero clue who's actually going to come out of there. The Chiefs are really just a placeholder. Which wildcard team do you think is going to fuck up the bracket the most? Here's the thing. I picked against them earlier, but I really do like this 49ers team. I mean, something about that that Debo, Samuel, Brandon, Ayuk pairing it, it makes them, like, just the most versatile offense in the league, basically. Like, just because a guy is motioning, you don't know if he's going to get a handoff. You don't know if he's going to just be motioning to see what you're doing on defense. You don't know if he's going to maybe throw a pass or something. You don't, you don't know if he's going to line up in the backfield in the eye to actually take a handoff. So it's like, it's one of those things where I think they have enough, like, razzle-dazzle in a sustainable manner where they can confuse the hell out of a defense and really put up monster numbers if you catch a team off guard. So I I like them going forward. If they can get out of that first round, big caveat there. I uh, I definitely think the Eels are going to be my team to watch. They're facing the Bucks, which I feel is probably the best case scenario for them because they're all fairly healthy. They essentially had a bye last week, whereas the Bucks just start piling on the injuries. So... They can definitely win that game, and then if they win that as the seventh seed, they're going straight into Lambeau. And yes, the Packers are a very scary team, but the Eagles also play 
a style of offense that's very conducive to that cold weather. I mean, they can keep it on the ground. They can do all sorts of things to stretch out the defense horizontally. And I think it's going to be really interesting to watch them in the playoffs. Yeah, I think Jalen Hurts, I, I still, you know, I've said it before. I don't think he's a great passer, but I think he's shown me enough this year to where in the clutch, I trust him to at the very least make the play that is best for the team. Like, I don't know if he's going to just throw a 40-yard dime down the field, put it right on the money. I don't know if he'll ever be that type of player. But I think if it's a third and five, I trust him to get me that first down when it's when it matters most. Under two minutes in the game, I really do like that Eagles team. I mean, Darius Slay on the other side with the, the defense playing well. well how um, can you, you know, not love I, your fellow Bulldog? Of course. I mean, I really do love Darius Slay. He was buried on that god-awful Lions team for so long. Happy to see him having success there. But, uh, yeah, honestly, I like the Eagles a little bit more than the 49ers, but for the sake of discussion, had to had to show some light on my boys, you know? Fair enough, fair enough. Well, let's go ahead and get out of the NFL world as we gear up for the playoffs and instead leave it on a whimsical note. So uh, here's my article I got for you, Caleb. A moose gets trapped in Breckenridge basement, doesn't care much for ping pong. So the story behind this one is in Breckenridge, Colorado, a uh, a moose was eating some luscious, beautiful, snowy grass when he happened upon a, uh, what, what do they call it, like a window well? Like those windows that like go straight up as opposed to like out at an angle. It, it was one of it was one of those um, or skylights or whatever. Uh, Why you put one of those things on the ground when there are moose in the area? I have right. no idea. No idea. Um, it seems like you're asking for something like this to happen. Well, what happened is you know naturally the moose stepped onto the window because it's covered in snow, slams into it, drops into the basement. Firstly, no worries. The moose the moose was. Uh, reported as not being hurt, just a slight scratch on it. So, you know, the moose is okay. But, uh, yeah, the moose was trapped in his basement for a while. The owners weren't home. So, you know, when the owners did eventually get home, they tried to open all the doors, usher the moose upstairs to get him out of there. But, uh, they called the Parks and Recreation or Parks and Wildlife, uh, got them to come in. Now, what I'm concerned with is maybe the moose didn't want to leave because the moose wanted to play ping pong. I feel like everyone is assuming that the moose doesn't like playing ping pong, but did the owners ever think to offer? They've got like three ping pong tables in this basement. Now, I'm wondering where he would practice ping pong being in the woods all day. But I mean, I wouldn't wouldn't doubt he'd be good at it. I mean, you, you think about those antlers for moose. I mean, they're basically like, like big old ping pong battles ping pong paddles anyway so he wouldn't actually need one he could just kind of like use that so i mean kind of like a like a goalie by volume situation he might actually end up being pretty good at uh at ping pong i would have played him feels pretty rude that they didn't uh didn't challenge him yeah man i mean for all they know maybe he just wanted to learn ping pong it seems like a really cool sport i mean have you ever seen people play like olympic ping pong it is so wild, man. It is so different from crazy. the way you and I play ping pong. Yeah, I, I play ping pong really shitty, even for, like, you know, average players. But, I mean, that, that professional ping pong really makes me feel shitty at ping pong. I'll tell you what, man. But the real question I have through all of this is, is the moose still on the loose? I'm not sure. I know they cut his antlers, so uh, Whoa, it's a damn shame. Jesus, dude, what the? F- well, they had to get him through the fucking threshold somehow. The antlers grow back. Don't worry, the antlers. That's grow fair. Back. That's fair. I mean, I, I, it'll take a while though. I mean, they were probably big, majestic motherfuckers if they had to cut them off just to get through the the skyline. Well, there. that's a that's damn. So shame. from my from my five minute Wikipedia research, I learned that it's actually pretty normal that they just kind of, I guess, like shed their antlers. Um, they probably don't just straight drop off, but they apparently have some form of losing their antlers and growing in new ones for springtime. So apparently it's pretty normal, but, uh, also I want a fucking moose antler just like put in my apartment, dude. You know how fucking badass that would be? Why don't you just get like a moose head? Well, I don't want a moose head. I just want to like fucking find, well, I don't, I don't want to do any taxidermy. I want to go to a fucking, um, what's it called? Yeah, I want to go to a haberdashery. I don't fucking know. I want to go to a fucking uh, forest, 
find an antler, then put it on my wall because it's cool, you know? Like, just go up to, like, Maine or some shit. I mean, there's got to be just, like, moose antlers lying around. Like, they can't just, like, fall on the ground and then disappear. Like, I know decomposition happens, but it is bone at the end of the day, right? Yeah, I mean, I also assume the antler doesn't just all fall in one piece. Like, it probably comes out in, like, phases that are, I'm sure, not microscopic, but... It's definitely in smaller pieces. It's like how we have, like, dust and shit from, like, But you think there's a big break at some point where it's, like, a good chunk of it falls off to where you could pick up, like, that piece, right? Maybe if they're, like, wrestling each other. I'm sure, like, antlers are broken from them, like, wrestling, right? Yeah, so I just gotta hang around and, like, a pack of moose or whatever you call a herd of moose long enough. Yeah, herd of meese and long enough until they, they start fighting... And, you know, hopefully I don't catch any shrapnel in, you know, uh, an antler to the stomach in the process there. But, you know, maybe if I'm lucky enough, one of the antlers breaks off. Got one to put on my uh, on my wall. Nice fresh one there. And uh, on that note, I think that's a good good part to end on there. That's about, about all for this episode. If you enjoyed, uh, subscribe. Leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy a little bit. If you didn't enjoy, just uh, expunge this experience from your memory. Just, you know, leave. But leave a five-star rating first on the way out the door if you wouldn't mind. That'd be pretty great. And, uh... You show us you're not a total piece of shit. That'd be nice. Uh, we put out episodes twice a week right now, but I guess I'll guess I'll address this right now. We are moving down to once a week. I think starting next week we agreed upon. I think it's either going to be Wednesday or Thursday. Just kind of depends on the uh, the editing schedule at the end of the day. I'm pretty sure it's going to end up being Wednesday though. So going forward, it's going to be one episode a week. Uh, so yeah, nip that in the bud right there. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Kayla Verzak at Zachary W. Mullins. Links will be in the description for that so you don't have to spell out our names. If you want to contact the show via email, send us an email at uh, unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. Uh, first, Jesus Christ, I can't talk today. Specify first word of the subject line in all caps, business or show, just so you can kind of get categorized appropriately there. And uh, that's about it. Thank you for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis. And as always, we have no idea what we're talking about. And I am scared of the football season ending. I'm not even going to lie, guys.